Today's sermon text is Luke 1, 26 through 56. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 855. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever.
Good morning, and you will have to be. I've, I've never preached from a computer before. The copier is working. The printer, not so much. So uh, thank you guys. For, I know many of you, this week I know some of you fought like stomach bugs at your house and ear infections and all manner of things, and then you on a Sunday morning woke up and fought trees that were down. Grateful to see you here this morning. Uh, let me pray for us. And we'll look at this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word. and For the mercy that you have had on each and every one of your people. The mercy you showed even in the past 24 hours in protecting us. We pray, Lord, that... As we turn to your word this morning, that the meditations of all of our hearts, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever made a promise to, to someone that is actually impossible for, for you to keep? Uh, I'm sure if you, you can maybe really quickly think of promises that you've broken, or maybe promises that are really hard to keep, but I'm talking about promises that are actually like outside the realm of your control to to bring about. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but back in it was 2008 to 2012, the shoe brand Skechers they started selling this line of shoe, and they promised that if you wore this shoe, it would tone up your body, you'd be in better health, like you, it would, it would change your life. Uh, if you remember, the, the Joe Montana was the spokesman, and you could trust Joe Montana, right? He's telling you, look, I wear these shoes. Uh, this, I went back and found an advertisement on, on YouTube and watched it, and like the first words on the advertisement are this, get in shape without setting foot in a gym, which is the promise of a lot of places, but this is the, but, but they, they can't, they can't bring that about. Right? If you put on this pair of Skechers and you do what I do most work days, which is like sit at a computer or go talk to people and you don't exercise and you don't eat well, you're not going to get in shape. And so it turned out for Skechers that it was a $40 million mistake as they had to issue refunds to all these people who said, uh, hey, I'm not in shape and I bought your shoes. But it's not just companies that you can think about any number of advertisements that make those kind of claims. But we individuals make those kind of promises all the time, promises that are outside our realm to control. Uh, Think about the soldier who's going off to war and who looks at his friends in all earnestness and says, I promise, I promise I'll be back. Think about the the very uh, well-meaning, intense team captain who gives a rousing speech to the rest of the team and says, I promise you, we're going to come out victorious tonight. Think about parents who say, I promise we'll get there before we're late. And then you hit a traffic jam and say, oh, no, I'm going to have to break that one. That's impossible for me to actually bring that one about. Uh, today, in, in Luke 1, you heard what was read by Graham, an impossible, almost a set of kind of impossible promises Things that are outside the realm of our experience that they could ever come about. But you also hear a young girl hear this promise and she believes. 
It's not because she's naive. It's not because she's foolish and just too young to know any better. It's because she has great faith in the one who makes the promise. This is the the main point of the passage uh, this morning. God fulfills his seemingly impossible promises in Jesus. So trust and worship him. God fulfills his seemingly impossible promises in Jesus. So trust and worship him. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, or even if you just heard it read, there's kind of three chunks of text, three stories that we'll be walking through. And we're just going to walk through those three as they come. So we'll see an impossible promise, and then a faith-filled confession. And finally, like an expectant song, as Mary just bursts out into song at the end of this passage. And I've been praying this week that Despite all the doubts and fears that you may be feeling, we would know that God is powerful to fulfill his promise and that we would respond in trust and in praise to him. So let's, let's turn then. If you have your Bibles, it would be helpful to have this as we go through the text, but you can look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll start there and look at an impossible promise. So Luke 1, 26 I'm going to just start by reading that again, 126 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, last week, Corey walked us through a promise that is pretty similar, a scene that looks a lot like this one. Right? So an angel comes to Zechariah there for the first few verses of Luke chapter 1. An angel comes here to Mary, neither one of whom are expecting a child. Both are troubled at the appearance of the angel. They react in fear. There's fear there. And the promised children that God says, this is the child that's going to come. And it's not just good news for Zechariah, not just good news for Mary, but for all of Israel. These are world-changing kind of children. But, but for all of the similarities, what should stand out, if you're just thinking back to last week and what comes before, is the stark differences uh, if you think of the promise given to Zechariah and the promise here, this is like taking the volume and dialing it up to 11. So the, the son of Zechariah, the one who was promised last week, that's a very improbable promise. Zechariah and Elizabeth are very old, but they are married. And so it may be improbable, but not impossible that they have a child. But here, Mary, though, is one who is a virgin, one who cannot have a child. More than that, the, the promise made to Zechariah is that the one who is coming is one whose ministry would be one of proclaiming the way of the Lord. And then you see in verse 31 of chapter 1, 
Mary is told that you'll name this baby Jesus. Uh, the name Jesus, we use it so much you may not think much about what that name means, but it's a name that means the Lord saves. The ministry of John, Zechariah's baby, is one of like preparing the way, clearing the ground for someone to come. And it's this baby, Jesus, who is going to actually have a ministry of saving, of bringing salvation. Uh, we're told that John is going to be great among the Lord, but then we're told that Jesus is going to be great, period, full stop. It's like John belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the great ones, but Jesus is the greatest of all time, one of whom there is no one greater. And then there's also a greater promise made to this baby. John is going to come in the spirit of Elijah, but Jesus is going to have the throne of his father, David. Now, that, that is a promise that should ring from the Old Testament. If you flip back and look at 2 Samuel 7, uh, you can see this. And if you had a note sheet that I could have printed, you would have seen these there. But if you want to go back and look at this this afternoon, you can go look at 2 Samuel 7. This is one of the high points of the Old Testament. God and his people are saying, what is going to happen? How is the Lord going to bring about his promises? And the Lord comes and says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This, this little baby Jesus, God says, that promise that you've been waiting for for a thousand years, he's the one in whom it's going to come about. This is an, an expansive, really major promise that's being made by this angel to Mary. But it's, that's not what makes it impossible. Right? What, it's, it's not impossible that God fulfills his promises to his people. We've seen him do that like all throughout the Old Testament. What makes it impossible is what Mary brings up in verse 34. She turns to the angel and says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She, she understands this promise isn't something that's going to come when she and Joseph are married, but something that is being brought about now. And that's going to be tricky because Mary in the original Greek, it says she has not known any man. It's not just Joseph, but nobody. And there, there is some Old Testament background to this promise. You can go to Isaiah 7 where we're told that there is a, a sign coming. The Lord will give a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew, he kind of pulls that promise out and makes it very clear. But here Mary is asking a question not of, hey, prove it, which is what Zechariah is asking earlier. Or to give me a sign, show me that you can do this. Mary is just asking for Information. How on earth, Lord, can this be? I've seen Abraham and Sarah. I know that people in old age can have children, but, but a virgin? Never seen that. And Gabriel gives his answer there in verses 35 through 37. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
Okay, so verse 35 is like the, the initial answer to the question. This is, uh, this is a way that is unique in human history. God says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive a child. And because it's the Holy Spirit who is bringing that about, it says, therefore, his name will be holy, unique, totally different from every other child ever born, the son of God himself. If you want, like, that, that doesn't maybe answer all the questions, but it's what we have, and it's what the Lord tells Mary here. And Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but the Lord gives her that one in verse 36. It says, Elizabeth, your older relative, just know God is already powerful. He's already given her a child. And then if you want the bedrock, okay, what is the answer behind the answer? Uh, you could ask, like, th- you could give this kind of answer, and you can imagine if you've ever had a conversation with a child where they say, well, how does that work? And you explain it, and there's another question of, like, well, why? And how does that work? And you just keep going back and back and back over and over again. Verse 37 is at the bedrock of this answer. How can this be, God? Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I, I want to pause and ask you to consider your own thoughts about this child and about just the God that we worship. The picture painted of Jesus here at the very beginning, we've not seen Jesus step onto the scene yet, but the picture painted is an exalted one. Right? He's not just a great person. He's not a good moral teacher. He's not merely one prophet among other prophets. He is the great one. Christian, does your life and your affections, do they reflect that? Would you say that of all of the people, all the things in your life, if people looked at you from the outside, that you treasure and follow him as the great one? Jesus is not just one piece of the puzzle in life's kind of advance on happiness, trying to find some meaning. He is the one that God has sent to save people from their sins. Do we talk about him in that way? Or do we treat him like he's just kind of one list and a long recipe for happiness? Or that without him, life falls apart. Without him, the whole dish is incomplete. Have you staked everything on him? Jesus is not just a counselor whose opinions we kind of take into consideration among all the other counselors we have. He is the king to whom all of us owe our allegiance and most astoundingly of all, we're told that Jesus is not just a mere man. Right? He is not just man. He is himself God. The very Son of God. And this is something we've confessed as Christians, not just in this church, but ever since th- this was proclaimed to Mary. So one of the oldest creeds in the church, the Nicene Creed, one of the early confessions believed across the ages, across all the world, confesses this. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Does that sound crazy? Like, can you imagine sitting and talking to someone that you've eaten with and walked on a road with, who you see sleep, and they say, by the way, that person is not just mere man, but God in the flesh. 
If that sounds crazy, the answer is in verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus asks all of us. Do, do you believe this? And Christian, if, if you are struggling, maybe not, maybe you know all of this. I know a lot of you have been in church for many years. So like all of the theologically right things to believe about Jesus, that hits home and you, you feel certain of this. But maybe today you're struggling more with verse 37. Like, do I believe that God can do what he's promised to do? Maybe some of the promises made to you sound overly extravagant. Uh, you feel your body falling apart in ways that you have not anticipated. And you hear a promise of a day when there are no tears and no sorrow and a new body. And you think, I don't, I just can't believe something like that even comes about. Maybe, though, it's not that the promise seems too extravagant. I think frequently for us it's that our circumstances feel so dire. We feel that we are so low, we can't see any way for him to lift us out of where we are. God promises perfect peace for those whose mind has stayed on him. And we say, I don't know that peace is possible from where I am, from where I'm sitting right now. But brothers and sisters, God's promise, no matter how impossible or improbable, they're not just good wishes from a good parent. They're not just something that someone who has a fair amount of power is saying. They are sure and steady promises. Things that God can and will certainly bring about. Uh, I love what J.C. Ryle, uh, an Anglican pastor in the 1800s, he writes this kind of reflection on this verse. There is no sin too black and bad to be pardoned. The blood of Christ cleanseth from all sin. There is no trial too hard and wicked to be changed. The heart of stone can be made a heart of flesh. There is no work too hard for a believer to do. We may do all things through Christ strengthening us. There is no trial too hard to be borne. The grace of God is sufficient for us. There is no promise too great to be fulfilled. Christ's words never pass away. And what he has promised he is able to perform. There is no difficulty too great for a believer to overcome. When God is for us, who shall be against us? Then he says, closes with this, Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it rests its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Kids, I just want you, you can even help us today. God has done impossible things all throughout the scripture. But maybe raise your hand, kids, if you just think of one thing that is impossible that God has done in the Bible. Luke. Conferring with mom. Come back, lame. Flooding, yes, sending a flood on the earth. That seems impossible. But God is powerful. What else? What has God done that's impossible? Rose? Walking on water. Parting the Red Sea. Creating flood. Yeah. Calming the sea. Yeah. He walks on water and he calms the sea when the storm is there. 
God does the impossible. Jackson. Creating the earth. That's a good one. That feels like maybe the highest one, right? The God who creates the earth can do whatever he pleases. And the Lord looks on you. And if you say, I don't know about this promise. Friends, find a kid and ask them, what impossible things has the Lord done? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe this? That is the impossible promise that he brings about, even here in Jesus. And that leads to the second part. He, he says, do you believe it? And we actually see a faith-filled confession flow out of the story. So verse 38, if you look at it, it's like a hinge verse here. So it's the conclusion of the story before it, and it's going to push us into the next story of the visit with Mary and Elizabeth. Look with me at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, that is an amazing act of faith. She, she believes and she submits to the word of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. And her faith pushes into this next story. Look at verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, we should, and we're going to hear, pause a bit and talk about Mary. And Mary, in the history of like the Christian church, is a really complex kind of figure. Uh, I don't know all of your background, but I'm, I would assume that many of you have, if, you've not, if you're not from like a Catholic background, that many of you know people who are from a Catholic background. And so talking about Mary can get a little complicated at times. Uh, the Catholic church, for example, teaches that Mary herself has no original sin. Uh, that Mary was not just a virgin with the birth of Jesus, but even though she had other children, that she has perpetual virginity. She's always a virgin. That she was, when she died, uh, if she died, that she was taken into heaven directly. That there is no tomb of Mary because she was taken directly up. And I, I've, that leads to all of these kind of things come together so that uh, if you ever watch football, which I think, most of you have, you know the phrase, Hail Mary. And if you're an Auburn fan, you may hate that saying right now. If you're an Alabama fan, you may love it. But it's a, a prayer to Mary. She's exalted in the sight of, uh, of those from a Catholic background so that even you pray to her. And she intercedes with her son on your behalf. Now, I, I want to be clear. I, I don't think the Bible teaches those truths. But there, there's another kind of thing where you can just say, especially if you have maybe lots of Catholic family, where you just back away from Mary altogether. But the scripture is very clear here. Mary is blessed. She, she has a particular place 
that is unique in history. Of all the millions of women born in the world, she alone is the one who gives birth to Jesus. And that is a blessing. But, but that's not the only reason that she's called blessed here. Look down at the text and ask, why is it that Mary is blessed? Look at verse 45. She's blessed because she believed. Blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. She heard the word of the Lord and her response was one of submitting herself and trusting in his truthfulness and his power. Now, I want you again, I know, Corey, this is last week, and if you weren't here last week, just go back and read the the promise made to Zechariah, the announcement of the angel, but think about how unlikely it is for Mary to express this kind of faith. Just just put these two stories together. God promises Zechariah an improbable conception. But but he, he knows the stories of Israel. He's heard old men and old women have children before. And Mary is promised a virginal conception. Uh, Zechariah, think about who he is. He's a priest serving in the temple. Like if anybody has the best chance of believing the Lord, it's that guy. It's the pastor like right in the presence of the Lord. You think, yeah, he's going he's gonna to set the example. And Mary is this young girl in a no-name kind of town off the beaten path who nobody knows except for her closest neighbors. The promise to Zechariah also, what, what did that achieve for Zechariah and Elizabeth? Uh, look, look at verse 25. This is the end of last, last week's. The Lord has done this and he took away my reproach. That's what Elizabeth says. This promise, it's actually really good for Elizabeth and Zechariah. And for Mary, this promise, although it's good news for the world, it's actually really maybe bad news for Mary in some ways. For, for the rest of her life, people can whisper behind her back, that's the one who was pregnant before she was married. The odds are stacked heavily against Mary. But against all the odds, she responds in faith and submits to the word of the Lord and to his will. And so Elizabeth looks upon her and says, blessed are you, not because of your merit, not because of your works, but because of your belief, because of your faith. And friends, that's really good news. That's good news because you and I, like, we'll never have the blessing of being Mary, of having that kind of physical relationship to Jesus. But the blessing of believing is open and available and given to you. It's available. And even Elizabeth, she herself is one of the first worshipers of the Lord. And she responds by calling the baby inside of Mary, what? My Lord. She herself makes this faith-filled confession. Brothers and sisters, God, God loves over and over to make examples of faith springing up in what you think are the most dry and arid places. You think it is a desert of belief where there is nothing, no chance for that person to actually believe. And God delights to bring faith there. So so the priest in the temple, he falters, but this little girl believes. 
later in the Gospels, like all of the religious leaders, most of the religious leaders, they gather around the cross and they look up and see a man dying as a condemned criminal on a tree. And it's out of the mouth of a centurion, one of the soldiers who is crucifying him, that you hear, truly, this man was the son of God. I know I've talked with some of you who have college professors who wrote large books about how the New Testament was just something we can't really believe anymore. And I know many of you have had Sunday school teachers who have wept when they thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friend, you can believe that Sunday school teacher. A powerful businessman gladly adds just like a little sprinkle of Jesus-type morality to his already loaded plate, but there is a couple who has nothing No hope. And they base their entire life on Christ. I know for many of you now, uh, I know many of you are praying for family members, for friends, and for co-workers, for whom you look around and say, the odds are stacked against them. And I don't know how belief can ever come in that kind of place. But beloved, don't lose heart. The Lord loves to make for himself trophies of grace in places that seem the least likely for people to believe. Kids, there's so many ways in which we want that for you. Where the, when the world looks around and looks at the powerful and the mighty and those who are the best candidates for trusting in Jesus, many of them don't see children. But friends, little kids, you can know and follow him today. And if you're here with us, if you're a visitor, I just want you to know that the blessing of belonging to God is open to you. That you are called to see this and to believe that this is the king we worship. When you come to Christmas and you think of the baby in the manger and you think of all the cute and cuddly stuff in your mind, don't lose sight of the elevated place that this baby has, that he is the maker of Mary. That the baby in the cradle, the one in the manger, made the stars and the moon, and he upholds them by the word of his power. And he calls on you and says, believe. Trust me. And you may feel like there's so many reasons why you shouldn't believe. Your own circumstances, your sin, whatever it may be. But know that you too, friend, can turn to Jesus and have life in him today. And if that's something that you want to do, you don't have to wait to the end of this service. You can do it now. But if you do want that, I want, I would love for you to come and talk to me after service. Or if you came here with a friend, ask them after, after this, how can I belong to Christ? How can I walk with faith in Jesus? How can I be made right in the, the saving work that Jesus has come to do? How can that apply to me? We would count it our privilege to answer that question and walk through that with you today. This, this is the faith-filled confession of trust from Mary. And it shows us what a right response to Christ looks like. Here is the promise of who this Jesus is. Believe him and walk in faith. But a faith-filled confession doesn't stay quiet, which is what we see in the last section. This confession bursts into an expectant song. 
I love Christmas uh, for lots of reasons, but one reason I love Christmas and Advent is because this season has provoked in Christians for millennia the desire and the need to write songs about it. Uh, It's like you're approaching something so mysterious and so wonderful that you, you can't help but say, not just say the truth, but sing the truth. Want to sing about it. And in fact, I, we see like this worship song from Mary in verses 46 through 55, but the first worshipers are back in the story before that. The first worshiper of Jesus is not, uh, it's not gonna be the wise men, it's not gonna be the shepherds. The first worshiper is in verse 41 as the baby in the womb of Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary and just can't help himself but leaps with joy. This is not the main point of this passage, but just think about that little truth, that the first worshiper of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is a little baby in utero. Uh, Last week I was in the nursery, nursery with an R, and at the end, we brought the, we bring the little kids in. We want the older of the little kids to see baptisms. Uh, you may have heard us come in because it's hard to keep them quiet. And that's okay. But we came and sat in the back towards the end of the first song. And I had a, a little friend with me. And as the first song ended, uh, he said, sing it again. Um, his dad heard him and came in, you know, uh, said maybe, maybe that was not the most opportune time to say it. But that's the right response. We, we should, friends, just give thanks to God when we hear even just the children in our midst raising their voices in praise to Jesus. And it is a reminder. Uh, there's maybe not, this is not something we'll see every week. But when we say that we believe that this child in the womb of Elizabeth was a child, we can go here. That's one reason why we pray for organizations like Lifeline. Why we give thanks when many of you have worked to foster children who otherwise might have been killed in the womb. Why we give thanks and want to work for the end of abortion and want to support women who are making choices for life. We'll pray later for Busega School of the Deaf and Blind and that they would support children. Elizabeth's baby, John, here is the first worshiper and that's just one implication of what we see here. But, but the, he's the first worshiper. The first worship song we see in Luke is here in the last portion of the text, Mary's Song of Praise. And as you heard First Samuel 2 read earlier, you may have heard kind of the same themes in the song of Hannah. Hannah gives birth to Samuel and she bursts forth in song. And the theme of her song is that God is reversing the fortunes. That she who was barren and who had been outcast, who had been, un, uh, who had been made fun of by Peninnah, by other people in her culture, now God is turning that on its head. And she would be counted blessed. He's exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. And Mary's song is like a remix. It's like taking that theme and writing it again for her life. So look down at verses 46 and 49. This is Mary singing about what God has done in her own life. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In verse 50, we get like a second verse. It's like you write a song about what's happening in your life, what God has done there, and then she kind of expands that out to all of humanity. Verses 50 through 56. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God works in such unexpected ways. This is a way in which Christianity is just vastly different from most of the religions of the world. Most of the religions, even kind of self-made religion, your moral intuition say that if I want to meet with God, I've got to bring myself up. I've got to work my way there and ascend to him. But Mary recognizes that the true God of the universe reverses that expectation. And that God Most High stoops down and lifts others up. He scatters the proud, but he exalts the humble. And then he demonstrates that himself and humbling himself to the point of coming and taking on flesh and even dying on a cross. This, this song is really the fitting kind of culmination of everything we've seen. Mary here is gathering up all the promises that God has made to her and to Israel She's she's planting her feet on the character of God and looking back at what God has done. And she's got an eye towards what God is going to do. She's singing, yes, what God is faithful to, has been faithful to do and says he will continue to be faithful in this way. And that is, in many ways, what we celebrate at Advent. It's why we are doing so many of the things we do this season. We are looking backwards And looking at what God has done in his first coming and taking on flesh and coming to earth and living and dying and rising again. And with that backwards glance, we're also just looking ahead and saying there's coming a day when he does all that. He's faithful and does all of that with glory, not just in humility, but he will bring the humble up to him when he will come back. And as we close this Sunday, I wonder what it is that you can look back on and say, he who is mighty has done a great thing. I would imagine that in your own life, just like Mary, there are particular things for which you can look and give thanks to God and say, the mighty God has done this thing that I did not expect. Whether it is curing a grandchild from cancer, whether it is helping Someone who thought they would never see joy again and bringing them out of that. Whether it's finding a church family who loves us beyond what we deserve. Provision given when we did not know where it would come from. There's so many places where we can, with Mary, look and say, He who is mighty, he's done great things for me. But with Mary, our praise explodes beyond those individual gifts. It's not just that we have really good blessings and really good gifts from God. It's ultimately that the giver of all gifts has himself come and given himself. And we don't just give thanks for his blessings, but the one who made these promises has come to live among us. That the promise-making God shows himself 
to be the promise-keeping God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so even today, as we close, we will sing in a few minutes, truly, he who is mighty has done great things for us. Let's pray and go to him and thank him today. Lord, we praise you. We thank you that you have done great and marvelous things. Lord, your promises that are impossible for man are possible with you because nothing is impossible with God. So I pray that you would help us to respond to you even this season as we reflect on what we sing, what we hear, what we celebrate, that we would know that you have kept your promises and that you will continue to keep them. So build in us trust and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.